And uh, Elsie and I do love being down here with you all. Uh, it's just a joy for us to come down. So we're glad to be back uh, today. And we're in this uh, second part of this Daniel series. And uh, I, I don't know about you, but I find the book of Daniel I- incredibly exciting. Uh, that video that we just saw is a part of the Bible Project. If you, if you like that style, it's a great way to get an introduction to all the books in Scripture. You can learn a whole lot just in that brief animated type of video. Last week we talked about the fact that the, uh, the Israelites were destroyed by the Babylonians. Everybody was taken captive. And so today's story of Daniel begins with Daniel as a prisoner of war. And, and prisoners of war are seldom treated with deference. Just, just to remind you, the journey from Jerusalem to Babylon was a journey that was uh, accomplished on foot. And it would have been arduous at best. Now, as the crow flies, you can see on this map, the distance between Jerusalem and Babylon was about 600 miles. But that was across the desert, so they wouldn't have gone across the desert. The Babylonians would have traveled up through the Fertile Crescent, which would have made the trek about 900 miles and would have taken a minimum of four months. After more than 100 days, more like 120 days, of rugged travel, Daniel's first impression of the city would have come as he passed through or under the Ishtar Gate, this beautiful gate which stood 47 feet high and 100 feet wide and was used by the conquering kings as their entrance and processional gate to the city. Archaeologists actually uncovered that, that gate and it is reconstructed in the Pergamum Museum in Berlin, Germany. If you're ever there, you could, you could see it. As Daniel was facing a whole new life, never to return to Jerusalem, he was also facing some challenges and some choices. And I'm going to suggest that the choices that we're going to read about today are choices that you and I need to make every day of our lives. So here's the first one. Respond with grace in a difficult place. Respond with grace in a difficult place. Let's look at chapter 1, verse 3. Then the king ordered Ashpenaz, the chief of staff, to bring to the palace some of the young men of Judah's royal family and other noble families who had been brought to Babylon as captives. Select only the strong, healthy, and good-looking young men, he said. Make sure they are well-versed in every branch of learning, are gifted with knowledge and good judgment, and are suited to serve in the royal palace. Train these young men in the language and literature of Babylon. They were to be trained for three years, and then they would enter the royal service. Now let's take a look at the various training expectations that fell upon these Jewish young men who who are still trying to get used to the fact that they're never going to go home again and that their new home is Babylon. Now, it was, it was often the, um, the practice of conquering nations that you took people from the royal palace first because they would have been highly educated and trained in palace etiquette. That's why Daniel and his friends were some of the first to leave Jerusalem for Babylon. But additional training was required. And it began with a strength test. And it covered a whole lot of areas, this strength test. Given the requirements of working in the palace, each candidate had to be physically strong, capable of carrying out the demanding work of a slave in the king's palace. It also included their appearance. These guys had to be handsome at best. I mean, after all, you were in the king's palace. You didn't want somebody in there that didn't look their very 
best. Secondly, there was an emotional test. It would be required that you are stable through the ups and downs of palace life. Monarchs were notorious for being brutal, harshly brutal, demanding things of people without any kind of recourse. It was like slave labor. So this was no place to wear your feelings on your sleeve. And thirdly, there was a strength of character. Palace gossips would not be tolerated. To serve the king required confidentiality. Okay, these are not unrealistic expectations, folks. Because as Christians, we need to remember that whoever has hired us to do a job, whoever our employer is, has the right to expect mental, emotional, and moral strength from each one of us. There will be ups and downs on the job. I don't know of any job that is smooth sailing every day of the week. There's ups and downs with every job. Be strong. Don't wear your feelings on your sleeve. And you'll also hear things that are private. Be strong enough to keep a confidence. You wouldn't steal somebody else's purse or billfold, would you? Then don't steal their story. Don't steal what they have entrusted to you and give it to someone else. Gossip in the workplace, well, for that matter, gossip in any place, can be rampant. Don't be a part of something so cruel and crass. If gossip comes to you, don't keep on kicking the story down the road. Let the gossip die at your feet. Live and work so that your actions never detract from the King of Kings, who is our true Lord, the one we serve first and foremost. Then the propaganda stage came. Before Daniel performed job one for Nebuchadnezzar, he had to be trained in Babylonian ways so his mind could be reprogrammed. This was a three-year training, folks. In other words, he's going to college. At about age 16, he's off to college in Babylon. And there followed an orientation stage that was designed to demoralize these Hebrew teens. They might be Jewish on the outside. But Nebuchadnezzar was going to make sure that they were not Jewish on the inside any longer. He was going to make them Babylonian in their heart. Now, you got to understand this. Nebuchadnezzar was not a nice guy. We're going to see as we go through the story that he was a rather wicked king at the time. We would classify him today as a terrorist, if that gives you any kind of indication, the kind of guy we're talking about. Notice what happens next in verses 6 and 7. Daniel... Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah were four of the young men chosen from all the tribe of Judah. The chief of staff renamed them with these Babylonian names. Daniel was called Belteshazzar, Hananiah was called Shadrach, Mishael was called Meshach, and Azariah was called Abednego. Now suddenly, this reprogramming becomes really personal. They don't get to keep their names. So their names become Babylonian. Now put yourself in their place for just a few minutes. All my life, I've been called Tom. All right, that's my name. That's the name my mom and dad gave me. I've been called by that all my life. But let's suppose that I go to work for a new employer, and the new employer says, you know what, I don't like the name Tom. From here on out, I'm going to call you Goober. Now I'm going to have to like that job really lots 
to remain a goober. Okay? Daniel and his friends had no choice. Take the new name or die. And their names had significance. You know, we name kids today most of the time because either it's a family name or we like the sound of the name or it flows well with the last name. We seldom look up the meaning of the name before we give that to our children. But in Scripture, names had meaning. Daniel's name meant God is my judge. Hananiah means Jehovah is gracious. Mishael means who is like our God. Azariah means Jehovah is my helper. They were significant, God-honoring names. But check out the changes. Daniel becomes Belteshazzar. That means keeper of the treasure of Baal. Remember your Old Testament history? Baal was the idol that was always frustrating God's people. Daniel's new name means keeper of the treasure of Baal. Hananiah becomes Shadrach. Command of the moon god. Mishael becomes Meshach, the goddess Shak. Azariah becomes Abednego, the god of fire. None of which reflects their heritage. None of which reflects their faith in God. Their names were changed and, and they weren't good names. But like Tim mentioned, we remember Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah by their Babylonian names. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. When I say those, you, you recognize them, right? Alan Phillips tells me that those were Babylonian realtor names. Did you know that? My, your shack, my shack, and a bungalow. Well, it's worth thinking about. I mean, who knows? It could, could... Alan Phillips never got that's right. No, that's right. Alan, Alan never got Yeah. Nevertheless, these Hebrew teens accepted their new names. Okay? So already you're starting to see in them the character that, boy, I need to be more like that. There's more. In verses 5a and then 8 and 13, it says, The king assigned them a daily ration of food and wine from his own kitchens. But Daniel was determined not to defile himself by eating the food and the wine given to them by the king. He asked the chief of staff for permission not to eat these unacceptable foods. Now, God had given the chief of staff both respect and affection for Daniel. But he responded, I, I am afraid of my lord the king who has ordered that you eat this food and wine. If you become pale and thin compared to the other youths of your age, I'm afraid the king will have me beheaded. Daniel spoke with the attendant who had been appointed by the chief of staff to look after Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Please, please test us for 10 days on a diet of vegetables and water, Daniel said. At the end of those 10 days, see how we look compared to the other young men who are eating the king's food. Then make your decision in light of what you see. Now, this is tough times for these guys. Nebuchadnezzar had changed what into the, went into their minds. He had changed what went into their ears. And now he's going to change what goes into their mouths. You're going to be on a new diet, fellas. He impacted their intellect, their emotions, and their physical perspectives. All of this was designed to destroy their previous loyalties. But there were four young men out of this whole group who said, all right, I can live with a new name. I can live with new clothes. I can live with all this. But I am not going to, to surrender God's word to eat this food. And you're thinking, food, really? 
You just gave up a name that honored God, and you're going to worry about food. You're living in a new place. You're living in a new time. Just eat the food and, and don't worry about it. I, I, can, I can hear Daniel saying something like this. Well, you know, God allowed me to be captive. He must want me to forget this past world, maybe even his past word, and embrace these new cultural ideas. You know what they say, when in Rome, do as the Romans. Actually, Daniel didn't say that. At that time, Rome was just a village, so nobody knew about Rome. I hear the same logic used today. Oh, this affair has to be God-ordained. Who else would have brought this person into my life? Or, if my boss knows that I'm willing to be dishonest, then when he asks me to falsify a report, I'll get promoted, I'll make more money, and if I make more money, I can give more to the church. See, it works. Or, if I cheat on the test, I'll get a better grade. And with a better grade, I'll get a scholarship. And a scholarship is far more important than one lousy test, right? I hear it all the time. The willingness to compromise God's words because somehow in our minds, we've rationalized that it'll be okay. But Daniel didn't compromise. Even at a young, impressionable age, he had learned an invaluable lesson. Here it is. It is never right to do something wrong under the guise of accomplishing something good. I like the way author David Jeremiah words it. It is never right to do wrong in order to do right. Write that one down. It is never right to do wrong in order to do right. Make sure in your life doing right always trumps the end justifies the mean kind of philosophy. Here's, here's another important lesson that comes. Okay, all right, at work tomorrow, think about this. At home tomorrow, think about this. Choose your battles carefully. Daniel didn't balk at three more years of training in a Chaldean higher education. Daniel knew he had to weed out some of the propaganda, but he was smart enough to know what was truth and what wasn't truth. He knew what was valuable and what wasn't. He could handle three years of training. And Daniel could learn to live with a new name. Even though it might be somewhat disagreeable, Daniel knew he could learn to live with a new name. Daniel learned he could compromise in those areas where God had not given a specific directive, where it was left to opinion, even if the compromise was uncomfortable. Daniel learned that he couldn't win every battle, so he was going to choose his battles carefully. We, on the other hand, in our current culture, seem to take offense at anything too quickly. We get upset at everything, and we fight to take every hill. Just turn on the news and listen to some of the bizarre things that happen in our culture and the way people act and feel. We've forgotten the art of good compromise. Compromise has been defined as the ability to cut a pie so that everyone thinks he got the biggest piece. That's pretty good, isn't it? So learn to compromise when you can without violating godly convictions. Let someone else think that he got the biggest piece of pie. Surrender the hills that don't matter. Surrender the hills that don't matter. Let's take a lesson from nature. You know how much I love nature. Crows have 17 wing feathers, or more accurately called pinions. Ravens have 18 wing 
opinions. Therefore, the difference between a crow and a raven is a matter of opinion. <laughs> all right, all right. <laughs> I, I should probably apologize for that, but I'm not going to. Here's my point. In matters of opinion, you can compromise. But when God has clearly declared something to be right and something to be wrong, do not compromise. Stand firm. God had forbidden certain foods. You know your Old Testament stories. There were certain foods that were wrong to eat. So Daniel and his compatriots drew a line said, okay, you can change my name. You can fill me with new information. You can change my clothes. We can become as Babylonian as possible, but we will not eat what God said we should not eat. This was not about the quality of the food from the king's table. It wasn't that Daniel was a picky eater. It was the fact that God said, do not eat this. And Daniel was not about to defile himself against God's word. Those unclean foods would have included pork, shellfish, and a whole list of other things. Daniel was determined that even though he was in a different land, he knew God was also in that land and that God was also in his heart and he would not violate God's word. Now, what I want you to notice about this is how Daniel handled it. You know, because, you know, on your job, you're, you're going to find some things on your job. Maybe this week. Maybe it happened last week. You're going to find some things at home every once in a while that just don't go quite well. And you need to know how to handle it when you come to some of these crossroads. I wish I could say I handled everything like this. I don't always. You won't always. But it, it's a good goal to shoot for. Number one, Daniel remained likable. He worked at being pleasant. The assistant to the king appreciated Daniel's demeanor. Now, folks, we can be likable. You don't have to act like a curmudgeon. We're born with our looks. Can't change those. We're born with most of our abilities and talents. Can't change those. We're born oftentimes with most of our likes and our dislikes as we grow up. We, we, we can't change those often. But we can all be pleasant. We can all be likable because that's a choice. You may have to work at it, but work at it because it pays rich dividends. Daniel was discreet. This is an important thing. He took Ashpenaz aside and spoke privately. He didn't, and, and, and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they didn't pick at the palace or protest with posters or throw rocks or stones or hurt people who were out there. He used tact. When you have an issue with your boss or someone else that is important in your life, be discreet. Use some tact and diplomacy. It'll go a long way. We'll, we'll learn more about that in Daniel as we go down the road. And Daniel was non-threatening. Daniel didn't ask, act belligerently. To the contrary, he asked the chief of staff for permission. Did you notice that? He asked permission. He said, please, let's try it this way. And when the chief of staff expressed fear, Daniel came up with a solution that would work for both of them. It was a 10-day test. Hey, folks, don't forget, 10 in Scripture is an important number. It is a number of completeness. Okay, sometimes it's called a number of perfection. So it was a 10-day test. It's not a random number. And then judge our condition and treat us accordingly. It was a non-threatening approach that left the door open for good things to happen. When you draw a line in the sand, 
be ever so careful. It's hard to erase that line. Be able to look for the solution that may work. Daniel chapter 1 verse 14. The attendant agreed to Daniel's suggestion and tested him for 10 days. At the end of the 10 days, Daniel and his three friends looked healthier and better nourished than the young men who'd be eating the food assigned by the king. So after that, the attendant fed them only vegetables instead of the food and the wine provided for the others. God blesses when we do it his way. Try it this week. Be likable. Be discreet. Be non-threatening. And because they remained faithful, God equipped Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah for the work that they would do in the pagan regime. I believe Daniel came to this conclusion, that it's better to be in the will of God as a captive of Babylon than to be out of the will of God and free living at home. Well, that's such an important principle for us to grasp. Being where God wants you to be is the best place you can be regardless of the circumstances. And when you are where God wants you to be, you won't be there alone. When your first desire to be is, is to be pleasing to God, it will not go unnoticed in the courts of heaven. Proverbs 16, 7 says, When a man's ways are pleasing to the Lord, he makes even his enemies live at peace with him. Learn to respond with grace in a difficult place. Here's the other lesson that grows out of our story. Respond with thanks for God-given talents. Now look back on what God did for these Hebrew teens in Babylon. Verse 17. God gave these four young men an unusual aptitude for understanding every aspect of literature and wisdom. And God gave Daniel the special ability to interpret the meaning of visions and dreams. When the training period ordered by the king was complete, the chief of staff brought all the young men to King Nebuchadnezzar. The king talked with them, and no one impressed him as much as Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So they entered royal service. And whenever the king consulted with them in any matter requiring wisdom and balanced judgment, he found them ten times more capable than any of the magicians and enchanters in his entire kingdom. Daniel remained in the royal service until the first year of the reign of King Cyrus, all the way down at the opposite end of his life. I am so encouraged by the fact that God knows what we need and when we need it. He equips each of us differently for the work that God has called us to do in his kingdom. And we just need to remember that all of our abilities come from the Lord. Look at the first two words in that text we just read. It said, God gave. God understood what was needed. God took the initiative. God knew who would need each gift most effectively. And when it comes to our talents and abilities, there is no room for conceit. They are not our gifts. They are God's gifts entrusted to us. According to a legend, <clears throat> a king was saved by a common foot soldier. After the battle and everything was all over, the king called for the soldier to his tent and presented that soldier with his own prized jeweled cup. Upon seeing the exquisite goblet, the foot soldier said, oh my king, this is too great a gift for me to receive. And the king responded, perhaps so, but it is not too great a gift for me to give. God gives the gifts that he wants. Sometimes we think, oh God, you have laid on me a, a talent and ability that's too great for me. 
You have been too gracious, too kind. And God said, perhaps so. But it is not too great a gift for me to give. Notice something else. Daniel got more gifts than the others. Did you notice that? Daniel received the ability to interpret dreams. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They didn't get that gift. In our culture, too many want an even playing field. That nobody has any more gifts, any more talents, any more abilities than anybody else. But God has never worked that way. Not only are our gifts different from each other, but the amount of gifts we have is different too. And there's no room in the kingdom for a resentful spirit. If you think you're inadequate, you are. I am too. I will be forever grateful that eternal life has been granted to us not because we are adequate, but because the sacrifice of Christ is more than adequate. By the way, God does not call adequate people. He makes the people he calls adequate for the task. And notice that these Hebrew young men were ten times more capable than their captors. God wants us to develop the gifts that he has given and use them for his honor and glory. Biochemist Michael Behe writes this. He says, a typical cell contains thousands and thousands of different types of proteins to perform the many tasks necessary for life, much like a carpenter's workshop might contain many different kinds of tools for various carpentry tasks. Some proteins are simple, others are enormously complex, but they all work together for the outcome of the cell. It's all of us using our gifts for God that makes the difference. Now, I don't know that you'll be 10 times more capable than the other person working next to you. But I'm convinced that when you do it God's way, you'll have the edge. And should you start to think that you're indispensable to the kingdom of God? Should you start to think that God is really lucky to have you on his team? Consider this thought from Richard Rohr, who says there are five things we need to know in order to grow spiritually. All right, you ready for these? Life is hard. You're not that important. Your life is not about you. You're not in control. You're going to die. All right, now write those down one of these times and keep that handy. Granted, you're not going to find that in a Hallmark card. But it will keep you grounded. It'll keep you grounded. When conceit raises its ugly head, just remember those five truths because our talents are not about us. They are gifts from God for his glory. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10 says, God has given each of you a gift from his great variety of spiritual gifts. Use them well to serve one another. Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego all stuck together. They compromised where and when they could. They stood firm on God's word when it was demanded of them. And they encouraged each other at every turn. And because they stuck together, they survived victorious in a foreign land with a wicked king. Retired Navy SEAL Admiral William McRaven told of a training exercise where the prospect of seals were made to stand in cold, wet mud. They're also told that there was a bonfire not too far away and that they could drop out of their seal training anytime they wanted to and go warm themselves at the fire. After a long time of standing in that cold, wet mud, one man became so discouraged he decided he was going to quit. He stumbled away from the group and one recruit started to sing. 
Hearing that lone voice, the man turned around, stumbled back, rejoined the group. Within moments, the entire group was singing. This group of soldiers was ordered to stop singing, and they persisted even louder. They survived the training victorious. They all became SEALs because they stuck together in the tough times. Folks, sometimes all it takes is one voice to change the future. Maybe that voice of grace in a difficult place will be yours. This week, do something like Daniel to make a difference. Do you know God as your Father? Do you know Jesus Christ as your Savior? Daniel prophesied about his coming. You need to embrace him now. Perhaps you have a decision. We'll be around. We'll be up here. We're going to stand and sing. You let us know how we can help you in your spiritual